Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Did not get what you wanted for Christmas? Well, that's okay. We'll get over to Leon Tailoring because they can get it fixed. So whether it's that jacket that didn't feel right or those skirt, blouse, whatever it was, head over to Leon Tailoring. Larry, Kim, and Judy, and Norm, they can take care of all your clothing needs at Leon Tailoring, and they'll be happy to do it too. And you know where they are, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. That's right. Our friends Leon Tailoring, swing them by and fix those holiday, well, we'll just, we'll just call them missteps. How about that? Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, as we wind down 2023 and look forward to 2024, we can't help but take a talk about the economy, uh, inflation, uh, and also uh, the, the Medicaid gap that, that state lawmakers are feeling, as well as well, how did Hoover's Hoosier spend during Christmas time. So joining us to talk about all that is our good friend Michael Hicks, uh, economist at Ball State University. So, Michael, my friend, as always, sir, thank you very much for being with us. Hope you had a good holiday. I sure did, and I hope you as well. Uh, we did, my friend. Uh, so let's get started. Uh, how would you rate the economy in 2023? Uh, out of 10, I would say it's about a 9, 9.5. Uh, it's astonishingly good year, despite what I think a lot of folks have been hearing, particularly about inflation. And, and it's interesting because all, all the data shows that the economy is doing relatively well, but people don't feel it for some strange reason. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah, no. So I'm not so much interested in the data uh, about you know what economists are parsing, uh, because I don't think most people are spending any time parsing that sort of data the way we do. What I really care about is what are people doing? Are they spending? Are they investing? Uh, are they doing things that indicate confidence in economic growth? And if you look at those areas, you know, uh, here in Indiana. Uh, new home construction remains relatively strong. Prices are up. Uh, we see consumption at record levels. This has been a record Christmas consumption in dollar terms and in stuff. Uh, and you know, new business starts are uh, at record pace across the country. So, you know, I, I just the 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 survey data that asks people about what they feel about the economy is very much at odds. With the way they are behaving, and the way they are behaving is really informing economists about uh, the way the economy seems to be. So uh, we're taking our cues from consumers and businesses rather than you know some arcane data point. So what you said is, so it's like my wife basically saying the economy is bad and horrible, but she's out spending money like crazy at Christmas time. Right, because those are the indicators we know. People are extraordinarily rational, you know, uh, despite a neighbor or two that I might have or what they may say about their neighbors, uh, the people are very rational. They expect the economy to look down. If they're worried about their job, they tend to, to save. They tend to spend down credit card debt. They tend not to be involved in, in expansionary uh, consumption behavior. Businesses are extraordinarily rational. If they see lean time coming, people stop forming businesses. They stop investing in businesses. And so uh, if we're looking at all those different data points, what we really observe is an economy where at the fundamental level in terms of job creation, in terms of real inflation-adjusted wage growth, in terms of starting new business, investing in new business, all of those things are doing surprisingly well, despite the fact that eggs remain you know, severely overpriced here in the in the U.S., in my opinion. Well, I will say this, my friend. I did. I was at the grocery store the other day. I bought a candy bar. And it just kind of dawned on me that, you know, 30 years ago, this darn thing was 50 cents. Now it's like $1.17. Like, good Lord. Ugh. And it's smaller. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, you know, if you look even at the, at the long run, which is a, a thing I tend to do now that I'm in my 60s, 
And you look at the hours that it took to earn, to, to, to pay for that. So let's forget the inflation data. Let's forget the imperfection. Let's just take the median work or the hours that it takes to work to buy those things. Across the board, things are less expensive, it, whether or not it's housing or transportation services. Uh, we're, we're doing pretty well. And I think a lot of the things that we buy, we don't notice. All those you know, my my cell phone bill in 1984 when I first got out of college was really low. I mean, you know, my 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 bill for internet services were low. Um, the the things that we buy today that are background noise to our existence are just missed. And I think that makes it harder for households when we look at those few things that have been constant, like gas prices or egg prices or milk, uh, to, that we sort of get shocked by. And I think that's a normal human reaction that people have. If you just stop and pause and look at what you're doing and how you really feel about the safety of your job and those of your neighbors and coworkers and people around you, you'll feel a lot better. Our guest in the program today is our good friend Michael Hicks, economist at Ball State University, looking at the economy in 2023 and looking ahead uh, to 2024. Mike, you made an interesting point about uh, sort of the things we buy that are sort of, quote, unquote, background noise. Uh, and how consumers sort of feel about the economy versus uh, sort of the versus the, sort of the national economist. And, and, and I bring this up because uh, this time of year, my, my favorite comic book store right down the street from the radio station has a big, giant sale. And I'll go look at things that used to cost, like, say, back, you know, 12 cents back in 1963 and, you know, $3.00. $4 now and, and, two, and 2023, I have to remind myself, what, Abdul, what did it take for somebody to make 12 cents in 1963 versus, you know, $4 in 2023? Right. And I think that's really a better way to measure, you know, what it what it takes individually for us. So I know how much I was making in, in 1980, $3.10 an hour. Um, and, and what it took to buy the things that I wanted to buy at the time. And then, you know, look what I'm making per hour now and just figure out that time price of things is a much better way than, than you know, the, the inflation estimates are very good, but they're easy to corrupt and they're easy for people to, to you know, say that they're, the government's tricking you. If you just look at what your pay stub was and what look at the JCPenney catalog, those things are cheaper. What you miss are the things that you don't, you know, I don't even know what my family plays in the cell cell phone plan, but I'm sure it's it's substantial out there, and I get a lot of value from it. I just don't think about it like I do the the gas prices, which are historically, in terms of time price, pretty darn low. And by the way, uh, you bring up an interesting point about uh, our cell phone bills and gas price, and also that brings up the broader question uh, of inflation. How has inflation treated us in 2023? And are things under control again? Well, I hate to say under control because inflation always uh, is. There's sort of two parts of inflation. There's the lower value of the dollar that that is due to the excess supply of money that that floats around after a big fiscal stimulus or low interest rates, and that's really what's been driving a lot of this. And then there's that, you know, change in prices that isn't really inflation. It's due to real cause, underlying causes like a you know, uh, gas prices spike when there's a war involving Russia because they were big uh, oil exporters. And so the inflation part, the dollar part, it looks like the Federal Reserve has stuck the landing in terms of getting us out of inflation without sliding into a recession. And, and in part, that's due to, to some good luck. You know, the, a lot of the demand for services that drive, drove inflation were, you know, help wanted ads, not actual employees. So we've seen big decline and help wanted ads without many layoffs. And at the same time, I think um, 
you know, though a lot of Americans, if you're under 55, you don't really remember inflation being like it is now. So it's blown a lot of minds, particularly young people who are shocked at mortgage rates. But, you know, at the end of the day, the very steady approach to this, being very communicative about interest rate changes, has meant that we're we're down to a point where inflation is right at or near the target level set by the Federal Reserve, which is between 2 and 2.5%, two and which is about within our ability to measure it correctly. And so with that being the case, I, you know, we're looking at a Federal Reserve that's saying next year we're going to lower rates three times, and markets that are saying, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at a 4 uh, rate cut next year. And that's not going to happen probably in first quarter, but by second quarter, I would think that would be the case. And you're seeing markets respond. Mortgage interest rates are now in their ninth week of decline. So if you're thinking about buying a house this spring, it's going to certainly look up from last year. Our guest on the program today is Michael Hicks. Mike is an economist at Ball State University, so we're taking a look at the economy uh, here in Indiana as well as the country, uh, 2023 as well as 2024. Uh, Mike, Indian lawmakers uh, got some rough news last week. Uh, while state revenue growth was pretty much flat, uh, they ended up getting like a billion extra dollars uh, in Medicaid expenses, and no one's really quite sure what exactly what exactly happened. Like, you're an economist. Any, any idea what's going on there? Yeah, well, the, the, all of the excess re- – uh, these are two parts. One's the revenue, the other one's the Medicaid. The revenue is easy. We didn't have a big burst in revenue. That was all money illusion. That was inflation. So once inflation goes away, all that extra revenue that we thought we had and the, the, the money that we gave back you know, last year was all an illusion. It was inflationary illusion. So as inflation went up, tax revenues go up. And so at the same time lawmakers were complaining about inflation, they ignored it in the tax revenue numbers. It it's a, it's a, un, surprises me that folks behave that way, but that, that's what that was. So now that inflation goes away, we're going to see our tax revenues returning to a slower growth period. And, we, and our, our forecasting tools in Indiana, I should say, are, are, are very good. They're a very robust group of forecasting here. The second problem is Medicaid. So we did a couple of things. There was a Medicaid, um, Medicare accepted people back uh, during the CARES Act, that bipartisan CARES Act, uh, to get more people onto roles that could make sure they could get COVID vaccines and be treated for COVID. They dropped off the roles and were made eligible for Medicaid. So forecasting the actual numbers would have been really, really hard last year. So whoever forecasted it probably missed some of those structural changes. Um, and that's, you know, forecasting Medicaid is one of the harder tasks out there. So um, I, I don't think that's really uh, – it's, it's going to be a long-term problem. But in the short run, it sort of justifies the large uh, rainy day fund that the state keeps. So I'm a fan of that. I think the state's done a, a really good job with that. But uh, what it also means is that when we're coming in this period of, of – you know, declining inflation, that we're going to have to think really hard about where the money goes. And and if I point to a bigger problem, you know, for the last 10 years or so, all the additional, you know, tax revenues have been uh, just um, spent on efforts to mitigate the ill effects of poverty, and primarily within Medicaid, but also family and social services. Those are anti, those are, those are spending to to fix poverty once it's emerged, spending on education, which in inflation-adjusted terms is as low as it's ever been in Indiana, that prevents poverty. And that really is, 
I think, the sort of mixed problem that the legislature is going to have to wrestle with in the next couple of years. Our guest on the program today is our good friend Michael Hicks. Michael is an economist at Ball State University. Uh, Michael, uh, on that whole issue of uh, Medicaid, uh, I remember Senator Mishler uh, basically saying to that Medicaid hearing, uh, nobody put together any more programs to expand Medicaid until we get this all figured out. Uh, to me, that sounds like a good idea. Call me crazy. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, we don't we have not wrestled with the challenges of the Affordable Care Act. And so we go on forever. It turned out to be just a big Medicare expansion. Um, it enabled hospitals to be extraordinarily uh, anti-competitive and to gobble up physicians' practices and competing hospitals. Um, and it has meant that a lot more Hoosiers are on some version of Medicaid, uh, either the Healthy Indiana Plan or, or full-out Medicaid. And so for states, it's a real challenge that, that they've got to wrestle with. And Indiana, ironically, shouldn't really have much to complain about. Poorer states pay a smaller share of Medicaid. So if I'm a lawmaker in California or Florida or New York or Massachusetts, which is paying a much higher share uh, of the Medicaid spending that goes to to individuals, uh, to physicians and, and hospitals that are treating. I, I don't, I'm not sure how happy I'd hear I'd be to hear about uh, Indiana's problems. You know, so I, I think that we're in for a national debate on this, and it would be a, a good debate to have. But at, at the end of the day, we, we, we've got to really figure out what we can afford and what we can't afford. And, and right now, spending a lot of money to mitigate poverty and less money to prevent it is, is not a long-term solution for anybody. And by, and by the way, my friend, when we look at uh, sort, of the, sort of the poverty-related issues, particularly here uh, in Indiana, it seems like a lot of them go towards uh, sort of following that, you know, that, that education lab, because obviously we got tons of jobs here in Indiana, more jobs coming, a lot of more high-tech, high-wage jobs. But my question has always been, does Indiana have the workforce, and for that matter, you know, the education to, to do all these high-tech, high-wage jobs that are just coming here left and right? No, absolutely not. In fact, we're, we're not getting them at the rate of the nation as a whole. We're, we're announcing them. They're getting a, press, a lot more press attention, uh, but we're just not seeing that sort of growth. So the simple fact is that you know, we're sending uh, 53% of our kids off to college. And, and uh, since 2010, 100% of the jo- net job growth in the United States has gone to college graduates. And so we're spending out of a cohort, 53% of high school graduates, less than half of a cohort of young people are going off to college. So we're only preparing about half of our kids for the, the type of job growth that we would like. And we're, we're claiming we're trying to incentivize. And without some improvement in that mix, we're just not going to get the other jobs. Remember those, the other jobs, the, the, the plumbing jobs, the waiter jobs, the, you know, the construction jobs, which are all potentially good jobs for people. They don't come without the net job growth in those other areas. And so if we're not going to have the educated workforce that the modern economy needs, we're also not going to have the other jobs that uh, we're, we're better at preparing people for. And I think that's really you know, when I look at our economy in the long run, it's easy to tell a happy story, 3.7% unemployment rate, wage growth, particularly for, you know, bottom two-thirds uh, of households. But but we're just not doing the things we need to do to be ready for the beginning of the 21st century, much less the end of it. Michael Hicks, uh, economist, Ball State University, with us for a couple more minutes on the program today. So, Michael, uh, let me ask you, my friend, uh, looking ahead to 2024, uh, what big economic thing are you looking at and how do you think the presidential election and the and every other election is going to impact 2024 
Right. Boy, that's a tough one. It's really hard to, uh, you know, uh, governors have a smaller role in the economy in the short term, almost no short term effect on the economy. It's really long run. Do you do things over the long run that position the state to to be growing very well? And I got to be frankly, you know, we're more than a decade into not taking care of business on those long run growth issues. So uh, I'm hopeful whoever is elected to uh, the state into the state house and you know into the capitol are going to be able to focus on the long term issues for Indiana. You know, nationally. Um, I think it's going to. It's hard to imagine the economy growing as fast as it did last quarter, which was 5.2 percent. But something odd has happened, and that is labor productivity growth has returned at a time when it should be very low. It's now well over two percent. So if we're able to sustain that, it could be that we're entering one of those entering one of those long periods where. You know, uh, productivity growth takes hold. You're seeing it pop up in industries that you didn't expect in, you know, tourism related hospitality sectors where, uh, you know, workers are producing 10 percent more in inflation adjusted terms than they did before the pandemic. And that's due to all the automation and new technology that they have. And so if that's really playing out across the economy, we could be this could be sort of like, you know, 94, 95, where people are coming out of a recession that that uh, they feel worse than it actually was, and then we enter a period of some growth. What really made a difference, though, during the late 1990s was that there was broad compromise between the House, the Senate, and the presidency in getting our fiscal house in order, and, and – uh, and that was led by the GOP that had a very strong platform. We don't have a GOP platform in that domain, um, and we don't have the spirit of compromise that I think was still alive in the mid-1990s. So I'm worried that we're going into a fiscal environment where we need people to you know, face the facts that two-thirds of our, our debt problem is spending and one-third of it is taxes. And, you know, we're going to have to compromise about in that way in order to get our debt down. And without that compromise, we we could have a good year, but we're not going to have 10 good years. It reminds me of my friend of actually the uh, 1983 when Ronald Reagan was getting ready to run for re-election and things were really bad like that 81, 82. But then around the third quarter of 83, things start to turn around. Next thing you know, it's morning morning in America. But once again, who who, who am am I to judge history? There we go. Well, and I do think that the economy is going to look better. Gas prices have – I mean, the U.S. is now at peak oil production in all of history. So, I mean, I, I told my wife yesterday, I don't see any reason why gas prices would, would go up. I don't see any reason why we're likely to have a supply shock. Of course, you know, that's what you could have said in, you know, late July of 1990 or, you know, early September of 2001. So, there are still world events that put put us put us at risk, but in terms of having a largely stable, potentially growing economy, I think we're doing quite well now, much better than I would have anticipated. And again, this is the time to get our fiscal house in order while we're growing, and not wait till there's a crisis. All right. Well, I guess on the program today has been our good friend Michael Hicks, uh, looking at Ball State Economist, looking at 2023 as well as ahead to 2024. So, Michael, my friend, as always, sir, thank you very much for being with us. Always appreciated your input uh, this past year. Looking forward to it next year. Yes, I am. And Happy New Year to you and your listeners. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.